I tell you what, it's an absolute honor to, to be here. It really is. I have been wanting to visit Connect, and I'm usually tied up on Sundays. They don't have that opportunity. So um, thank you for allowing me to, to come, Dave and Casey, and the opportunity. I've been taking pictures and, and taking notes. I love what you're doing and the impact you're having on this community right here. So I'm so grateful for your pastor and his vision. Can we just honor him and his wife right now? Put your hands together. We're grateful for your pastor. And um, like Pastor Dave said, um, I planted Rock Church a long time ago. In fact, for our first nine years, we were mobile. So I get it when it comes to setting up and tearing down. I have a whole bunch of respect for your crew. So if you are on that team, if you're here that set up, tear down, bless you. All right? <laughs> well, like Pastor Dave said, I have a book. It's called 41 and Will Come. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that throughout this message. But I do want you to know that I brought some copies today. So I'll be hanging out right over here. If you'd like to grab one, you can do that. Or if you can't do that today, you can go to any Barnes & Noble and grab one or walmart.com, target.com, or the official book website, 41willcome.com, to, to let you know where that you can, you can purchase it. And if you would rather have a Kindle version, that's available via Amazon as well. In fact, we even had it licensed as an audiobook. I had the privilege of narrating it. So if you don't like to read, you can just lay on your couch and I'll read to you. That's kind of creepy, isn't it? <laughs> all right, well, I'm going to pray and we'll get into our message today, all right? Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here today in your presence. And I just pray over the next few moments that you will speak to us, that, that not only will you speak to us, but I pray that we will hear and listen and respond. I thank you that hope is in this house because you're here. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, about a year and a half ago, my family and I had the, the privilege of just taking our spring break, and we decided to go to an indoor water park. Have you ever been to an indoor water park? And um, at this time, I have two kids. I have a 12-year-old girl named Savannah. I have a 9-year-old son named Ashton. At this time, they were 10 and 7. And we decided just to go and to cut loose to have a good time. And this was a pretty, pretty cool place, Lazy River in a wave pool. And their kids section was unbelievable. Multiple slides, um, the big buckets that dump the water and the sprayers and all that stuff. In fact, that's where my son, Ashton, he hung out literally all day long. But my daughter and I, we decided to, you know, go hang out on the big kids slides. And they had these tube slides that would go out of the building, completely enclosed, and then come back in the building. But their featured attraction was this five-story funnel slide. I don't know if you've ever been on a funnel slide, but basically it looks like a little funnel that you would put oil in your car with, all right? But imagine that being five stories high. And it would start you out at the top. It would shoot you through this chute up to the top of the funnel. And then you would slow down, slow down, and you would get sucked into a drain. And it would take you through a final chute that would land you into a, this landing pool. It was pretty awesome, all right? And every time we launched out of that first chute, my daughter screamed louder than the front row of a Taylor Swift concert. I mean, every single time. Just, ah! And she wasn't afraid she was screaming because she was having the time of her life. And every time that she screamed, my son heard it. In fact, everyone in the park heard her scream. And that communicated something to my son. He was missing out. 
So he came to me and he said, hey, Dad, I want to ride the big slide. I said, man, I don't know. He's like, I want to. I said, okay, let's go. And up the stairs we went. We get to the top. We get in line. Then I noticed you got to be so high to ride. You got that ruler. So we had to get him up on his tippy toes, and he barely passed. So we got ready to get on this two-person raft, and he did what a lot of kids his age do. He changed his mind. He said, Dad, I, I changed my mind. I, I don't want to go. <laughs> so I did what any good dad would do, and I forced him. <laughs> I said, listen, bud, I just walked up five stories of stairs, and the only way down's in the raft. Now get in. So he got in, and he was not happy with me. And then I said something to him that was a lie. I have since repented. Don't judge me. I said, don't worry, bro. It's not scary. <laughs> so we got on. He gripped his little hands on those handlebars. We went out of that first shoot to the very top, and I was like, woo, this is so awesome. And he was not enjoying it. He was just like this, white as a sheet. It finally slowed down, and at that moment, I thought the worst was over, and I would be wrong. And um, I said to him, hey, bro, it's all good now. You can relax. He just wouldn't talk to me. He was not happy with dad. And um, so we started spinning around, spinning around to get ready to go sucked into that drain. And then something happened that had not happened all day long. Somehow we spun around backwards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now we're like this, heading towards the landing pool. My son's up here. I'm in the back. I'm a lot heavier than my boy. I mean, he's just a little guy, real, real tiny. So here's what happened. When we hit that pool, that raft turned into a catapult. I mean, you chunk pumpkins around here, right? I mean, you've seen that. That's basically what happened to my son, Ashton. He got launched into orbit, and it was like time stood still, and in slow motion, I was like, no! I reached up trying to grab him, trying to get his foot, an ankle, his head, a hand, anything. But he was too far out of my grasp. That's how high he was, all right? And I just saw him going overhead thinking, I am so dead. <laughs> head first into the water, he went to the bottom. Have you ever tried to get out of one of those rafts? <laughs> Now I'm trying to get out of that raft. I dove under the water. I went and I grabbed him thinking, oh man, my son's going to drown at this place. This is not good. So I didn't know what, I just picked him up. I hoisted him above my shoulders like this. And I looked at him in the eyes and I said, was it that awesome? <laughs> and he said, no. <laughs> he said, it wasn't awesome. And my, my wife didn't think it was awesome either. Just so you know. Now, I know that's kind of a funny story, but I believe that just in the same way that I launched my son, God wants to launch dreams within your heart today. Okay, maybe not the same way that I launched my son, but I really do believe that God has placed desires in your heart. Psalms 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he would give you the desires of your heart. So I want to ask you, what dream is in your heart. And today, before we end, we're going to commit those dreams to God because Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. Everybody say, whatever I do. All right, whatever you do, commit your, commit your plans to the Lord, whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. In other words, God wants us to dream so big today that the only way we could ever pull it off is if he steps in. That means if you can accomplish your dreams without God, you're not dreaming big enough.
Because when you take your dreams and you offer them to him, your plans become his plans and his plans don't fail. But I know there are some people in this room, you've given up on your dream. You've already cast it aside, but I really believe today that you can dream again. You can pick that dream back up, dust it off, and offer it to God. And that's what I'm going to encourage you to do, because I believe 41 will come. And I know most of you have no idea what that means. So I'm going to explain this to you. So when you get into Scripture, what you'll find, oftentimes the number 40, whether it's 40 days or 40 years, represents a season of waiting, it represents a, a season of, of trial. But on the 41st day or the 41st year, that's when the breakthrough comes. That's when you have a new beginning. So I want to give you a few examples so you understand what I'm talking about. In the Bible, in Genesis, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. 41 came and the rain stopped. Moses committed murder and then he hid on the backside of a desert for 40 years. 41 came, and he received a second chance when he was commissioned by God to be the rescuer of Israel. Then the children of Israel, after they were rescued from Egypt, they went to the Red Sea on dry ground, ended up in a wilderness for 40 years. But 41 came, and a new generation entered their promised land. Goliath, the giant, he taunted the nation of Israel, the army of Israel, for 40 consecutive days bullying them, begging somebody to fight him. And on day 41, David slew Goliath. Jonah went to Nineveh for 40 days to deliver a message of a doom and gloom that God was going to wipe out their city of more than 120,000 people because of its wickedness. And I'm so glad we get to deliver good news, aren't you? That's a, Old Testament was a little bit different. But 41 came and the people responded with Repentance. One translation literally says that God changed his mind and instead extended grace and mercy. A couple examples in the New Testament. Jesus, he fasted and prayed in the wilderness for 40 days as preparation to do what he came from heaven to earth to accomplish. And the enemy tried to tempt him and detour him, knock him out before he could even begin. But Jesus spoke the word. 41 came, the devil fled, angels showed up, and Jesus launched his ministry. Then after his ministry, he went to the cross, didn't he? He died. He didn't stay dead. He was raised from the grave. And after he was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples and other eyewitnesses. For anyone want to take a guess how many days? Forty. Forty days commissioning them to plant the church. He told them he was going to ascend to heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father, so he could pray for them. And cheer for them. 41 came. The disciples were in an upper room. The Holy Spirit showed up. They were empowered. Peter got up and preached a message with boldness. 3,000 people got saved, gave their lives to Christ. That's how the church was launched. And now, more than 2,000 years later, here we are, still the church. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying for us cheering us on. So how many believe that God wants you to dream big dreams? And some of you are in a season 
of waiting and you're tempted to quit. You're tempted to throw in the towel. And Proverbs tells us in chapter 24, verse 10, that if we quit during times of adversity, our strength is small. So my prayer today is that you will be encouraged and strengthened so you can offer your dream to God again. Because this book that I'm holding, it's a dream come true for me. But it didn't happen overnight. In fact, let me just tell you the story. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to be the chaplain of the Peoria Pirates, which is the indoor football team that we used to have, arena football. Anyone remember the Peoria Pirates? Just make some noise if you remember the Peoria Pirates, okay? All right. All right. It's like 12 of you. Great. No, i kidding. Well, I had the opportunity to serve in that capacity for seven seasons, but during our first season, inaugural season, we made it to the playoffs. We made it to the semifinal playoffs. And this was the game that if we, we win, we go to the Super Bowl of indoor football. If we lose, we go home. Season's over. And I had a 15-minute chapel talk with those who showed up before the game, like I did every home game. And I delivered a little message called, 41 Will Come. And I shared with them the same examples that I just shared with you. I was talking about football. I was talking about life, what happens on the field, off the field, the giant that stands between them and their dream come true, whether it's getting to the next level, whether it's getting to the NFL, whatever that may be. But one of the last things that I said to the team before we prayed was this. No matter what happens when you go upstairs and step onto that field, if you get stuck on 40, don't quit. Why? 41 will come. They went and they played the game and they won. Isn't that cool? Here's what's amazing. The final score of that game was 41 to 40. Now, I'm not the reason they won the game. My little chapel talk's not the reason we won the game, but God used it to blow the players' minds and to blow my mind and hopefully to encourage you. In fact, when we won the game, I stormed the field like everybody else. I was high-fiving players and yelling 41 came, not even thinking about the score. I was just excited that we won, all right? It's our first season. We're going to the Super Bowl of indoor football, right? And on the way home, my friend Mike and I were listening to the radio, post-game show. And he wasn't talking. He was just sitting there. Finally, he just looked at me, and he goes, man, Chuck, I can't believe the score. I said, I know, 41 to 40. And then I'm like, almost went off the road. And it was in that moment that God placed the desire in my heart to write a book about it. And here it is. But it's more than 15 years later. And I had so many opportunities to quit, so many opportunities to throw in the towel along the way. There was a season where I was talking about it, I preached about it, we did an eight-week series about it a few years ago. I would lay in bed and and have anxiety attacks thinking somebody else was going to have their fingerprints on my dream. Have you ever been there before? And there was a period where I talked about it, but I didn't work on it. And it came to the point where I had to give it to God. God will always do part, but then I had to do my part. We have to do our part. And the enemy, he'll do everything he can to discourage you, to distract you, to stop you. So I want to give you two things that I believe will help you knock down the giant that stands between you and your dream come true. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. One of my very favorite scriptures, or one of my favorite stories in scripture, is the epic showdown of David and Goliath. First time I ever preached about David and Goliath, that was in fifth grade. 
I love this story. So let's read it. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 3. So the Philistines and the Israelites, they faced each other on opposite hills. There was a, a valley between them. So you have the Philistines, the bad guys. You have the Israelites, the good guys. You have a valley between them. And every day, this giant is coming out, and he's taunting them. Verse 4 says, so Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. His bronze armor weighed 125 pounds. Verse 7 says the spearhead alone weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you, you're only the servants of Saul. Just like a bully, right? Have you ever had somebody belittle your dream? Some of you gave up on your dream because you shared it with the wrong people. They shot it down. He's mocking them. You're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. Verse 9 says, if he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They ran. Because they were being bullied. Have you ever been bullied before? Anyone, anyone here ever been bullied before? This happened to me. Fifth grade. There were some punks. Anytime we'd ride bikes in the neighborhood that I lived in, they'd always just run their mouth and intimidate us. And one day I'd had enough. You ever been there? And the reason I had enough is because there was a big fence that was separating us from them. So I just said, hey, you guys want to fight? I didn't think they would say yes. There's a fence between us, a big one. They climbed the fence, jumped over, said, let's go. I'm like, I don't want to fight. <laughs> it was too late. <laughs> so I just looked at my friend. I said, okay, you get the big guy, I'll get the small guy. And this little dude stood in front of me, a little bit smaller than me, just began to mock me with his mouth. I just, I had had it. So I made a fist. I squeezed as hard as I could, and I swung as hard as I could for his face. But halfway to his face, I changed my mind, and I slapped him. <laughs> And that was the day I surrendered my man card. <laughs> that explains why I enjoy watching Hallmark movies with my wife. So I slapped him. And then I did something that surprised him more than me. I, I apologized. And I just said, I'm so sorry, man. I don't want to fight. He looked at me like, seriously, bro? <laughs> it was too late. We were fighting. <laughs> What I didn't know is my friend had ran off, and the big guy grabbed my arms behind me, and the little guy, who I had just apologized, I just wanted a hug from him, right? <laughs> he punched me in the face, and I ran home, and a black eye followed, and I was afraid to ride my bike ever since from that moment on. Then in seventh grade, I encountered another bully who just thought it was funny to give me a charley horse every day in gym class. I couldn't stand that. So you know what I did about it? Nothing. 
Remember what happened in fifth grade. Like, I'm not, I just allowed this punk to hit me every day. His knuckle would collide with my arm and it would send chills. <laughs> I was so bothered that I was afraid to go to school. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to get on the bus. I, I, I was living in fear. And that's exactly where the Israelites are. They have been bullied for 40 consecutive days, twice a day, and nobody will fight. Verse 16 says, for 40 days, every morning and evening, this champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. But then David enters the story. And when David enters the story, hope enters the story. Verse 21 says, so soon the the Israelite, I can't even talk, and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army, all right? Just like you this morning are facing a very real enemy who stands between you and your kids coming back to Jesus, standing between you and you getting that startup company off the ground. Some of you, you want to go back to school. What dreams are in your heart? There's a very real enemy that wants to prevent you from fulfilling those dreams. So David was, was talking to his brothers. And when he was talking to his brothers, he was just there to visit. He, he, he heard the enemy. He heard the enemy. And I know you're thinking, that's no, that's no big deal. But here's the difference between David and the army of Israel. David heard the enemy, and it was the words of the enemy that motivated him to do something about it. The Israeli army, for 40 consecutive days, they heard and responded with silence. David heard the same words from the same enemy and responded with faith. And he determined in his heart that he was going to step onto a battlefield. The Israelite army, they, they tucked tail and ran. It says they ran away in fright. The enemy will use fear to prevent you from pursuing your dreams, your God-given dreams and desires. But if we're going to see our 41 come there's a couple things that we need to do. There's actually seven in the book, but I'm going to give you two. Number one, we've got to smash fear in the mouth. Look at someone actually say, smash fear. We've got to smash fear in the mouth. The word doesn't say that David wasn't afraid. He could have been. I mean, courage is not an absence of fear. Courage is being willing to step onto the battlefield even when your knees are knocking together. David could have allowed fear to prevent him from doing what he just announced he was going to do. He had to smack fear in the mouth. What I have found oftentimes is most of our fears are, are irrational. I mean, when I was younger, I had a, a fear of, of diving boards, but I overcame that fear, and now I love high dives. And as long as there's water, man, I'll jump, right? <laughs> And I would have missed out my whole life on having a good time had I allowed my fear of heights to prevent me from jumping off that diving board for the first time. It's kind of like something that happened with my, my sister. Now, years ago, before I was married, I was a youth pastor in Ohio, and there's this place called Cedar Point. Ever heard of it? 
Yeah, the number one amusement park in the world. There's no place like it. If you like roller coasters, and my, my sister had never been on a roller coaster, and every year they always have the world's tallest and fastest something. And at this particular time, they had the world's tallest and fastest steel roller coaster, and I convinced her to make that the very first roller coaster she ever went on. So we stood in line for about eight days, all right? Not really. That's what it felt like. You know, when you're standing in line, you could be brave, but when it gets time to get in, that's a different story. Remember my son with the water slide? My sister did the same thing. Now, she's a lot younger than me. I'm 10 years older than her. We got ready to get on, and she said, you know what, Chucky, because that's what she called me, you know, um, I can't do this. And I said, oh, yeah, you can. She's like, no. I'm like, we stood in line for like four hours. You're, you got to get on. She's like, no way. I can't do it. <sighs> I was frustrated. So I lied to her. And I know. I have problems. I know. I already said, don't judge me. <laughs> I know. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good brother. <laughs> uh, or I'm not a good fighter either. <laughs> We're going to stop. Just pray for me. All right? <laughs> So I said, listen, Sherry, here's the deal. When you get on the ride, on the way up, if you change your mind, there's a little button. If you push the button, they'll stop the ride and let you off. <laughs> and she believed me. <laughs> so she said, okay. And we got on, and we started going up and up and up. Now, this is set right on Lake Erie, and it's just majestic. You get to the top. But she wasn't seeing any of it because her head was between her knees. And her little hands were on that bar that would not let go. And I just, I wanted her to see the view. It was spectacular. I said, Sherry, look at this. Nothing. Sherry, I'm like screaming, Sherry, look at this. And she just would not budge. I said, okay, okay, do you want me to, do you want me to push the button? <laughs> that worked. Yes. I said, sorry, there's no button. Woo! And over the hill we went, man, down. Now, to this day, she loves roller coasters. So my response to that story to her is always, you're welcome. I helped you. I helped you smash fear in the mouth. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We don't have to be afraid. We have to remember that God is for us. No one could be against us. Greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And remember, he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, cheering for us. So we need to smash fear in the mouth. Whatever is gripping you with fear this morning, preventing you from dreaming big or dreaming again, today we're going to punch you in the face and we're going to Offer that dream to God. The second thing, the second thing that, that we will have to do, and David have to do, as soon as you, as soon as you purpose in your heart that you're going to do it, you can, you know, you're going to conquer your fears, and you're saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to step on the battlefield. I'm going to slay the giant that stands between me and my destiny, me and my dream. The next thing that we will have to combat is doubt. We have to shake off words of doubt. We have to shake off doubt within our own hearts, and then we have to shake off doubt without. And this is exactly, exactly what David had to do. As soon as David said that he was going to fight Goliath, his own brother's family told him to go home. They mocked him. Have you ever had somebody mock your dream? He did. Go home. His own king told him this, there's no way you can win. 
You would think King Saul would be happy that finally somebody after 40 days was willing to fight, but no, he wasn't happy. He told David, David, Goliath's been fighting his whole life. You're just a boy. There's, no, there's just no way you can beat this Philistine. He could have quit right then. Some of you have been so excited about the dream that God put in your heart, and you've just shared it with the wrong person. So that's stupid. You can't do that. Oh, right? God wants you to dream again. He wants you to trust him. We have to be willing to shake off the doubt. Shake off the negativity and surround yourself with the right people, people that are going to cheer you on. You know, the word says in Proverbs that there's safety and sound counsel. But here's, here's the bottom line. If God is asking you to do something, no matter what anyone else says, you have to be willing to smash fear in the mouth, shake off negativity, and pursue it. Matthew 16, 18 says, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We win. Amen? So let me, let me close with this story. A couple years ago, we were having a game night at our house. And we decided to play Uno. Anyone ever played Uno before, right? And just have good old family fun, right? So uh, we're sitting around, and there's only four of us, but we, we were playing teams. So it was my daughter and I against my, my wife and, and my son. And um, I decided to cheat. <laughs> I know, I have lots of problems, right? So I, I, I cheated. I wanted to see how my son would respond. He's a little guy, and he struggles with him. I mean, he always has to win. And unfortunately, we've created a culture where nobody ever loses. But that's not real life, is it? So I was stacking cards, and we won right away. And, and he lost his mind. He flipped out. I mean, he was really immature. He was like, like screaming and whining. I mean, just really throwing this fit that he lost. And finally, I had enough. I said, dude, chill out, okay? I cheated. We didn't even really beat you. So we, 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 we played again. And this time, the game went on and on and on and on. And eventually, my son and my wife, they, they beat us. But when they won, my, my, my boy began to gloat. I mean, like, he got up and he started, you know, he took his little victory lap. And then he took it to the next level and he put his hand up like this. He got my face and he was like, loser, loser. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I'm like, I'm not having this. This is not cool. I mean, he just is up and down. And then he did something that I'm embarrassed to tell you and I'm still going to tell you. He mooned us. <laughs> and then he began to jump up and down. I'm like, bro, knock it off. Seriously, this has gone too far. And I said, two can play at this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm even more embarrassed to tell you what I did. I mooned him back. But I took it to another level, and I stood on a chair and I began to give him a little taste of his own medicine, but the weight of me on the chair were not a good combination, and the legs gave out on the chair, and I fell, and I landed on the chair and just about cracked my ribs. It knocked the air out of me. Now I'm laying on my stomach, my backside exposed to my family. I can't breathe, and they are all laughing at me. My son is down like this in my face, pointing his finger and laughing at me. 
By the way, now we call the game Muno at our house, just so you know, that's what we call it. But it reminds me of scripture. This is my last scripture. Micah chapter 7, verse 8. It says, do not gloat over me, O my enemy, though I have fallen, I will get back up. And some of you, you've been knocked down by life in unforeseen circumstance. Some of you today, you feel like quitting. Some of you, it's a miracle that you're even here today. You're on the verge of quitting. And I'm here to tell you, don't quit. Whether you're in a downpour, in a wilderness, staring at a giant that stands between you and your destiny, I really believe if you will hang on, 41 will come. Amen? Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, right now, I just thank you so much for everyone that's in this room. I thank you for every desire that's in every heart. I specifically, God, lift up every single dream to you. We commit those dreams to you. Your word says in Proverbs 16, 3, commit to you whatever we do, whatever it is, and our plans will succeed. I pray that we'll be strengthened to stand on your word. God, that after we've done all to stand, that we will keep standing until we see that dream come true. God, others, others in this room, they've given up a long time ago. And today they've been inspired. They've been filled with the hope because of your word. And they're picking up that dream again. Dusting it off. Offering it back to you. I thank you in advance for answered prayers. I thank you in advance for dreams come true. I thank you, God, that every test will become a testimony. Every mess will become a message. We thank you, God, that you love us and your plans for us are good plans, not to harm us, but to fill us with hope in a future. I thank you, God, right now that your word says we're your masterpiece. Some in here just need a second chance like Moses. We thank you you're no respecter of person. We thank you, God, that we're not defined by our past. It doesn't matter what we've done before. You don't have to consult with our past on mapping out our future. And your word says that our future looks great because you're in it. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for letting me be here today.